0: You are listening to the podcast of the Y Church of the Elk River YMCA in Minnesota. Our mission is to seek Jesus, connect together, and share his love.
1: We're going to turn towards the Christmas story now in Luke chapter 2. Larissa Dvorak is going to read scripture for us. You can follow along or just listen to her read whatever you would prefer. But otherwise, Larissa, thanks for taking us through this text.
0: The shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all the things they had heard and seen, which were just as they had been told.
2: Christmas Eve, here we are. The shopping malls, the wish lists, and the online deliveries are all but behind us. The Christmas cards... The outdoor lights and the wrapped presents are ready. And here we are now on Christmas Eve. And God, we turn toward you because we need you. We need you to give us the vision to see this child more clearly than ever before. We need your spirit to help us experience him as grace and truth wrapped in humanity. Because in Jesus, you are displaying your love for the world. In him, you are proving your faithfulness to all generations, including ours. And here we are, God, surrendering, hoping, waiting, and leaning into the perfect love that our souls were created for. And we need you. So, Father... Please meet us here on this Christmas
1: Eve. We're so desperate for snow, we've got to watch it on the screen, I guess, there at the end. But I like that video for its simplicity. I love the simple prayer at the end. Father, please meet us here on this Christmas Eve in the through line, we need you. There's all kinds of things attached to celebrating Christmas, all the festivities and the things to do, but that's at the heart of it. Father, we need you. Please meet us here. I do have to admit I've been a little cranky about the lack of snow this Christmas. I don't know if you have anybody in your household for whom that's the case. Maybe you've seen the social media post that's been going around showing how many white Christmases versus brown Christmases we've had. But Pastor Andrew said it right when he said the other day, this isn't a brown Christmas, it's a green Christmas. You don't have to look very far, and the grass is still green. So as somebody who loves winter, you look outside, it doesn't feel quite right. But as I processed this this week, I thought, well, that really would be to miss the point, because that is not the heart of what Christmas is about. And besides, if we want to get really technical, the first Christmas, the one in Bethlehem, would definitely not have been a white Bing Crosby Christmas. It would have been Bethlehem Brown. So, in that sense, I'm okay with this. There are certain things that we attach to the season. Some of the songs that we have looked at from week to week, if you've been with us during Advent, are very much attached to Christmas as we sing these during this time of year. And in the Sundays in December, we looked at familiar Christmas carols, and how they connect to the biblical story. And today on Christmas Eve, we're going to have the chance to sing what is by far the most famous Christmas song of all. It exists in over 300 languages around the world, and that is the song Silent Night. So what I'd like to do over the next few minutes together is tell you the story of how that song was written, then go into Luke 2... And ask ourselves if it really was a silent night. And then I'd like to finish with a story from a battlefield in Belgium. The origin of the song Silent Night, as you hear this, is a great reminder of how God is at work even when things from our vantage point appear to go terribly wrong. And He works them for His good, something even better, something we didn't expect. It was Christmas Eve in the Austrian Alps in the year 1818. This occurred in the town of Oberndorf, which is north of Salzburg, and there was a pastor in that town who had a problem. It was Christmas Eve day, and the organ wasn't working. And they had a whole worship service set up with all this beautiful music, and of course it all depended on the organ, and now there was no organ to play it. It would be like if we here all of a sudden had no worship team or the lights or the sound just didn't work at all. I mean, how would you even get through a service? That was the predicament. Well, that pastor, whose name was Joseph Moore, was wringing his hands trying to think of what to do when he remembered two years earlier, around Christmas, he had written a poem in his journal. And so he went and grabbed that text from his notebook put it together in a way that could be sung, and he ran off to see the church organist, who now didn't have a job that day. He found the organist, and he asked him, his name was Franz Gruber, if he could write a simple melody to go with these words, and it would be something that could be sung without the church organ. And, by the way, it's due tonight. We want to sing it tonight. Well, when the people of Oberndorf showed up at church that night, they arrived to something quite unexpected. There was not the usual organ music prelude or organ music at all. Instead, it was a very simple service, and it featured the organist playing his guitar from home. And there these two men stood up in front of the congregation and sang a duet leading the congregation in the song Silent Night. Now, of course, it was German, and so it was called "Stille Nacht." And the song, they say, maybe would have just been totally lost to history. You know, this would have been the one-time emergency solution on Christmas Eve, except that a few days later, the organ repairman showed up, and he heard the story about the great debacle of Christmas Eve. And he was so intrigued, he asked to see the song. And seeing the song, he then asked if he could take it with him. And that organ repairman, his name is Karl Maurocker, carried that little song with him all over the Alpine region. Eventually, it came into the hands of the Strasser family, who owned a small family business that made chamois skin gloves. And wherever they'd go to these markets and festivals and fairs, they'd set up their booth And then the mom and dad would have their four kids stand out in front of the booth to sing and attract customers to come and look at the gloves. Well, these kids were really good. And people would walk by and they would just eat it up, kind of like the Von Trapp children who were about 100 years later. And one of the songs that then they introduced into their repertoire was this song, Silent Night. Eventually, these four kids were requested to come and give a royal performance before the king and queen of Austria. And from that point on, things really took off. Silent Night was first published in a German hymnal in 1838. So it took 20 years, 20 years after it was first written. And then it came across the Atlantic to America, where German-speaking congregations would sing this song. The first English form of Silent Night was published in a Sunday school songbook in the year 1863, the middle of the Civil War. But, here's the question. Was the first Christmas Eve really that silent? That's what we want to ask as we take a look at the true story that inspired this song. And for that, we turn to the reading that Larissa just shared with us, Luke chapter 2, and the events of the first Christmas Eve some 2,000 years ago. The story begins with the Roman emperor, we see his name right off the top there, Caesar Augustus, ordering a census to be taken of all his subjects. But instead of self-reporting online or filling out the thing that comes in the mail, like we do and, and did not long ago, this census required everyone to travel to his hometown to be registered. Can you imagine the traffic If you and I received orders to do something like that, can you imagine the ruckus that it would cause if we all had to hit the road right now and get to wherever our hometown was? And can you imagine all the complaining about the government that would be heard around town? I mean, just transfer this to our own experience and it comes to life. It was no different. It certainly was not a silent night as Joseph and Mary set out for their hometown of Bethlehem. It would have been an overnight trip, they think, probably four days on the road, lots of people traveling because of the census, and that is probably the same reason why when they arrive at Bethlehem, there is no guest room available for them. It is way beyond capacity for the town to be able to handle so many people. But there was a room among the animals, and that's where Mary had her baby the first Christmas Eve. Now, I don't suppose animals, when they're penned up for the night, are really all that quiet. And delivering a baby is certainly not quiet, neither for the mother nor for the baby. We have another song. Do you know the song that suggests that baby Jesus did not cry at all? Away in a manger. And it's a really nice thought, but we don't have any indication in Luke 2 or anywhere else in the Bible that Jesus didn't cry As any other baby would. In the text, then we shift that night from the manger to the fields outside Bethlehem. And we see there that shepherds are keeping watch over their flocks. I imagine they're maybe talking by the fireside or singing or playing an instrument to pass the time until all of a sudden. The angel of the Lord, it says, last week we sang, Hark, the herald angels sing. The herald angel shows up. The glory of the Lord is shining all around them. And it says those shepherds were terrified. Now, I don't know exactly what all this would have sounded like, but I don't imagine any of it was silent. The angel then announces that today in the city of David, a Savior has been born unto you. He is the Messiah Messiah. The Lord. And then he tells the shepherds to go and find the baby wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger. And as soon as the announcement is done, the volume at this point for sure ratchets up because the whole sky is filled with angels. It says, A great company of the heavenly host praising God and singing. Now we don't know what an army of angels praising God. Would have sounded like, but I think it must have been one of the most spectacular sounds ever heard on the face of the earth. And yet, just as quickly as it came, they were gone. And all that was left were the shepherds and their sheep, shell shocked by what they had just seen and heard. As soon as they collected their thoughts, these shepherds raced off to Bethlehem to find the baby. I don't know if you've heard a bunch of middle-aged men running lately, but that definitely wasn't quiet. I imagine them huffing and puffing, hooting and hollering maybe as they're running across the field, and they get there, maybe they're doubled over trying to catch their breath and compose themselves before they head in to see the baby. And then, if there's any place that is hushed in this story, I think it's probably right here. Where the shepherds knelt before the manger. That's the part that I can imagine being pretty quiet, just to kneel there in the presence of their newborn Savior. What an incredible moment! And then notice how the story finishes. The shepherds are up and at him again. It says, "Spreading the word concerning what had been told them about this child." It wasn't a silent night. And it was not a silent aftermath, but these shepherds had a message to share, and they faithfully carried it out, boldly declaring the gospel, glorifying and praising God. So back to our question, was it really a silent night that first Christmas Eve in Bethlehem? I don't think so, at least not from the biblical account. And yet, there's still something about this song that rings true because there is a form of stillness that comes from the Lord that rises above the din. There's a form of stillness, a Holy Spirit hush that stills the soul and can come and settle over even the noisiest, most chaotic places on earth. And so I want to ask you if there are places in your life that might match that description right now. Are there places in your life that seem chaotic, noisy, or at least unsettled? I bet if we asked around this gym, there would be a whole lot of us who have those kinds of things going on in the background. Tough realities that you're waking up to. Anxiety that is there to meet you in the morning, and it's there when you go to bed. Health concerns that weigh on your mind. Finances that don't add up. Relationships that are strained. A heart this season that is aching for someone you miss. Resentment for what you've been through. Whatever it is, there could be every reason for you to wonder, as we're going to sing this song in a few minutes if it even makes sense for you to sing about Silent Night. All is calm, all is bright, some of the words. Really? You might wonder, can I sing that in the middle of this? And to close, I want to take you to a battlefield in Belgium almost 100 years after Silent Night was first sung in Oberndorf, Austria. We find ourselves on the Western Front in World War I. It was December 1914. Trenches marred the region of Flanders where soldiers were dug in for the first winter of the war. Between the two sides was this lifeless expanse called No Man's Land, which the soldiers could not even go retrieve the dead for burial between the trenches. It was a miserable beginning to a miserable war that would eventually claim the lives of 20 million people. That's the population of Minnesota, Wisconsin, and Michigan combined. But on Christmas Eve 1914, a quiet settled over the battlefield in Flanders. An unofficial Christmas truce. It was not called by top brass or by heads of state, but by the soldiers themselves. And here's how it started. It started when a few German soldiers lit candles and started to sing Silent Night across the field to the enemy line. The Allied soldiers on the other side soon joined in, and pretty soon, not just Silent Night, but as the night went on, they sang carols to one another across the expanse. The next morning, the truce held. It was dawn, and some men stuck Christmas trees above the trenches. And shouts of Merry Christmas were shouted from one to another, from each side. Eventually, the men had brokered enough trust that they emerged from their hiding places to meet on the battlefield. A hundred thousand men are believed to have participated up and down the front. They shook hands, exchanged chocolate and cigarettes, and even held impromptu games of soccer. As one British soldier wrote in his journal, he said, How could we resist wishing each other a Merry Christmas? This story gives me hope. It gives me hope that silent night can happen here. It can happen in the war-torn places of our own time. Whether that's Israel and Gaza, Ukraine and Russia, the Red Sea, the Korean Peninsula, the gospel has the power to reach into this mess and to bring peace. To make men lay down their arms. To be reconciled because their heart is overcome by the love of God. And if this can happen in a battlefield that's far away, it can happen here in the challenges of our own nation, in our own state, in our own cities where we live. There is no situation too big, no issue too complex, that the peace of God cannot come in and settle over it. Habakkuk, the prophet, says the Lord is in his holy temple. Let all the earth be silent before him. And that includes you. That includes you. Whatever challenges, temptations, or pain that you are facing, you can subject it to the Lord. You've got it in your head. I know as we have this conversation, you know what that item is. And you can put it right at his feet. You can submit it before his throne and sing Silent Night right into the teeth of the battle. Because as you have placed your trust in Jesus, the Bible says you have a peace from God that surpasses all human understanding. It is otherworldly. It brings ceasefire. It is supernatural because it comes from Jesus Christ, the Son of God, the Savior of the world. He left the throne of heaven for you, the Bible says. He left heaven, took on flesh to walk in your shoes, to know your reality, to know your pain. He gave his life as the perfect sacrifice dying in your place and my place on the cross. Three days later, he rose from the grave and conquered sin, death, and the power of Satan to give you everlasting life. That news is so good. The news we celebrate tonight is so good that it filters all the other news that you could ever receive in your lifetime. So, It's raining on Christmas. Let it rain. And let it remind you that you are washed and cleansed by the blood of the Lamb who loves you and gave himself up for you. Andrew is right. It is a green Christmas. And it is green because new life in Christ springs forth. And it is a silent night because he overcomes the world and he brings you his peace. Let's pray together. Lord, it is the greatest of honors for us to be called before your throne, either to be silent before you in awe or to shout and sing your praises, to be called before your throne not as lowly subjects, but as forgiven sons and daughters. And I pray, Lord, for everyone gathered here tonight that this Christmas story and this good news would become our living reality. Help us tonight, Lord, to receive it. Receive it in a new way, in exactly the ways that we need this season. and to head into this new year with the fullness and newness of life with you. Lord, we love you. We thank you for Christmas and the gift given to us in your Son, Jesus, in whose name we pray. Amen.
0: Thanks for listening to the Y Church Podcast. For more information about the Y Church, check us out online at theychurch.org.